All right, guys, welcome back to Nehemiah 7 and 8. Uh, you know, I'm excited about this lesson for all kinds of, of reasons. I'm excited to get into this, but let me just, before I get into Nehemiah 8, okay, we, we got to just do a quick Nehemiah 7. You, you just got to do this. When you look at Nehemiah 7, it's the list of the exiled men. That's really what it is. It just says, you know, in Nehemiah 7, it says, when the wall had been rebuilt. Now look at this. In verse 1, it says, and I had the doors installed. The gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. So, Kevin, according to this verse, they're done. We're done. Everything's done. The doors, the hinges, the knobs, uh, the peepholes, you know, like, just kidding. All of that, though, is done. And because of that, now Nehemiah is appointed, right? The, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Levites, everybody, everybody's in place. And this is just kind of a fun picture because then it says in verse, uh, really verse 7, the number of the Israelite men included... Here are all the exiles. And so, and it goes through the Israelite men. And then Kevin, if you go to verse 39, then it lists the priests that were included in verse 43. Then it talks about the Levites that were included in verse 45. The gatekeepers were included. And then in verse 46, the Nethanims, right? The temple servants are included. And so like everybody's making the list. And then it even ties in verse 57, the descendants of Solomon's servants. And so here you have all of these people. Basically, God is revealing like that he never forgets the faithful. And here's who they are. Here's the faithful that have come back, helped rebuild, and here's the roles that they're playing. It's a cool picture. But why I'm excited about it is that everything's in place. And then once everything's in place, you know what you got to do, Kevin? You got to hold a Bible conference. <laughs> Because that's really what they're doing. They're establishing everything based on, like, the Word of God. I mean, you think about this, and I, I uh, forgive me, I should have done this, but I used to, David Barton has an incredible ministry, and uh, David Barton is actually from Alito, Texas. And uh, David Barton is probably the foremost Christian historian, American historian today. Like, it's incredible. He could tell you anything about the Founding Fathers. He could tell you about the buildings in D.C. He could tell you about, you know, the, the scrolls that have, have uh, played an important part of, of our history in America. And like, you know what he'll constantly say, David Barton will say? It's all focused on God. And so like when people are trying to take in God we trust away, it's, it's silly. When they're looking at, you know, the dollar bill and trying to remove God off the dollar bill, it's silly. It's crazy to me that people are even trying to, you know, when they have these conversations about removing God's Ten Commandments outside of certain places. Like, you guys, God is the reason we're here. God is the reason our nation exists. And what I love about Nehemiah is he says, look, guys, things are in place. Let's get our focus. Kevin, if you would go to Psalm 1, verse 2 and 3. So why do we need a Bible conference? Because what Nehemiah is doing, and we're going to get to who is doing this, is he's trying to get them back to, guys, remember, we have been in exile. We have been in captivity. Oh, by the way, we're free, and now we can focus on the Lord. Psalm 1, verse 2, it says, Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. And in verse 3, he's like a tree planted beside streams of water 
that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. So how does this happen? Go back to verse 2. If you go back to verse 2, the scripture says, because he's delighting in the Lord's instructions. You see prosperity, okay, in who the Lord is in your life when you're meditating on the word day and night. And the crazy thing is, is Kevin, at this point, they're not doing that. Nehemiah knows it. Some people might know it. And so here's what he does. He calls for the best teacher in the land. He calls for Ezra. He asks for Ezra. And Kevin, I love you have this picture here. He asks for Ezra to begin to actually read the word of God. We'll probably come back to this picture for multiple reasons. I'm pretty excited about it. But Ezra is a teacher. Okay. And Ezra's role was to bring the book of the law. And in fact, it says this. In verse 1 of Nehemiah 8, 1, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. Now, think about this. Ezra had, had brought the book of the law to Jerusalem 13 years before. Okay, interesting kind of uh, thought here. But now, here you're going from a private study of the book of the law to now the whole public is going to see this in the water gate. What Wearsby says here, I think is really, really powerful, is that, and you're going to walk through this, and this is what's going to happen for the first eight verses. We must understand, okay, the Word of God. Hopefully what's, what's happened in Revive School, you know, I'm going to ask these guys here, I'm going to put you on the spot. We do this all the time with the guys in Indiana, we do this with people online, but like, how has Revive School changed your guys' life? And I'll get it started so you have some time to think through this. You know, for me, in order to understand the Word of God, like I, my, my life has radically been changed, honestly. Like when I look at these paintings now, like it, it, it makes sense to me. Like when I think of Ruth, it now makes sense that she's in Judges. When I look at Chronicles, it makes sense that the captives are coming back and they're learning how do we not get back into captivity. <laughs> and then when I, when I look at, you know, even the anointing, how it first came to, the, uh, to Saul, but then really it was ultimately it was David. And then I, now I'm just like, oh my goodness, like what is what has happened is I actually realized why and how the kingdom of, of Israel was split. And like for me, we must understand the word of God before anything else happens. Kevin, what would you say? How, how have you been impacted by reading the word so much every day? I think it's just the uniqueness of how each book, uh, they tie together, but they all, everything New and Old Testament points to Christ. And whether it's his first coming when he was here on earth the first time and what he did or his second coming. So you would say there's a, a deeper understanding in this process? I think in the, and just the practicalities even of how do I apply this with my family, with my everyday life. Good. Clayton, what would you say? Man, for me, it's so many new perspectives, like things I'd never noticed that we're really talking about and things that we're diving into that I've never really even read before. Lots of these things, because I've read bits and pieces, but I haven't read the whole Bible from front to back, you know, and so it's really cool. It's good. Drew, what do you got about understanding the Word of God? How is Revive School? How is your time in the Word? How has it changed? I feel like through Revive School, it's kind of more understanding God in that this thing seems like impossible or strange to do this whole thing, because it's so different than what we were doing, because it was like... You said, hey, we're doing this now. And I'm like, wait, that's not what we do. You know what I mean? So it's changing and accepting a new direction, um, even if it wasn't like, hey, I don't usually do this. 
You know what I mean? And it is kind of taking things step by step. I just like the reading because you're just like, it seems so big. You know, and here we are almost already a year into this. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, I'll just say this. Like when I see, Kevin, can you go to John 15 verse 3 for me? I want to just do something here a little bit differently. And I, I don't know how far we're going to get today. Um, John 15, 3 says, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Okay. So the word has brought about a sense of washing over that person. Would you agree? This is, this is Jesus talking, right? So you're clean because of the word I've already spoken to you. The word is truth. Where, where are these guys reading? Ezra's reading outside of what gate? The Watergate. Watergate. And like, I know a lot of people think Watergate, you think, right? The whole fiasco with the government. I'm not talking about the Watergate with, with the American government. It's just kind of a cool little picture to me. About There's a cleansing almost, like, hear me out on this. Like, there is a, a, a refreshing that's coming outside of the, uh, the Watergate because the word's being released. And I just think it's a really cool foreshadow of here we have, you know, Nehemiah's rebuilt the wall. He's establishing the word to bring about a cleansing to the people. And Jesus says, that's going to happen when you talk to me. I am the word, he says. It's a pretty unique picture. In fact, can you go to one more, Kevin? Ephesians 5, verse 26. Ephesians 5, verse 26. Just has the same, same mentality. Uh, to make her holy, the bride, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. I, all I want you to think about is, is that when the word of God was almost reinstated back in Ezra and Nehemiah's time, all of the Israelites were being washed by the word of God. And that paints a picture of ultimately what happens in the New Testament is that when you dig into the Word of God, when there's an understanding of the Word of God, it, it, it's a weird way to describe it, but it's like a, a cleansing of your palate. It, it's almost like something is just, it's happened because you're reading a book on paper. But that's when the Word of God is alive and active and piercing. It, it does that. And so when there's an understanding of the Word, I just, I love this picture. There's, there's a cleansing. Uh, let's, let's do this. Can you go to John 7, verse 37, please? I want to just tie this in one, one more place here. You know, the water for washing and is a picture of the Word of God, but water for, for drinking. I, I, I don't want to miss this one. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood out and he cried out, if anybody's thirsty, he should come to me and drink. Jesus said he is the Word, right? This is true. Uh, in fact, uh, I just want to tie all this in together so everybody's on the same page. Uh, John 1, 1, Kevin, if you'll go there, we're going to come back here, okay? I want to get you guys to have this bigger picture of how this all fits. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? And it says, uh, and the Word was God. And then in verse 2, it says, He was with God in the beginning. And then it says, All things were created through Him that has been created, right? Scripture continues on. And in fact, Kevin, if you would, just, just go to verse 4. Life was in him, and that life was in the light of the men. So this is, this is important, okay? Okay, we're not talking about John the Baptist here, but watch. In verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh. So the Word is Christ that took among, up residence among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, now, Kevin, go back to John 7, verse 37. I, I know we're going on a little bit rabbit trail here. I just hang in here. John 7, verse 37. So now think about this. Jesus says, okay, 
on the last and most important day of the festival. If anybody is thirsty, you should come to me and drink. I am the word. You come to me if you're thirsty. Does that make sense? If you want to get refreshed, you come to me. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within them. And so here's the, the, the reality in verse 39. Uh, the scripture just says this. He said this about the spirit. So when you come to the word of God, scripture says those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit. So when you now believe at this time, the spirit hadn't yet been received because Christ hadn't been glorified. But now that Christ has been glorified, here's the deal, you guys, is that when you come to the word, you can be refreshed in the spirit of God. And so like to me, when I start seeing uh, the making of a revival, he's ultimately saying, guys, you, you just need to come to me. And it all starts with understanding the word of God. All because Ezra, what did he do? He brought the book. Did he not? He literally just brought the book to everybody. That's what it says. Ezra the priest says on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. In verse 3, while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read it out loud from daybreak. He read it out from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Daybreak to noon. Are you ready this? Nelson's commentary says that's six hours, friends. Six hours. It says that they were literally listening with understanding. The dude with their hands up, six hours. (laughs) All of these people listening with six hours as Ezra releases the word so that they could understand the word. Verse 4 says, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform. Look at this. This is what he's doing. Made for this purpose. Matthiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah stood beside him on his right. Okay. So there's going to be people here. You can't see them on his right. And then there's going to be teachers on his left. Padiah, Mishaiah, Malkajah, Hashem, Hashpadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalum. So here he has a list of these teachers standing beside him, possibly priests, teachers or priests. Okay. And then it says in verse 5, he opened up the book. So he brought it, okay? See, this is going to sound so silly. Okay, he brought the book, okay? And then, you ready for this? He opened it. I'm telling you guys, we probably have three or four Bibles in most houses. I don't know. I have no average. I'm sure there's out out there. But you got to open it. You got to open up the word or, or turn it on, whatever you need to do in order to read the Bible. But get to that point where you're in the face listening. And it says, he opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everybody. As he opened it, all of the people stood up. And in verse six, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And with their hands lifted up, uplifted, all of the people said, amen and amen. And then what did they do? Then they flipped it and it says, and they bowed down to the ground and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There was truly a respect for the word of God. Kevin, can you go to 1 Timothy 4.13? And I actually think in order to understand the word of God, I think we need to pray that there's respect given back into the word. Does that make sense? Scripture says in 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, give your attention to public reading. Okay, hang on here. Until Jesus, the Messiah, comes back, Scripture says you give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. You know what that means? You give respect as people gather together and their word is released out loud. It's an interesting text. And again, Ezra, Nehemiah, sets the tone for us 
understanding and respecting the word of the Lord. I mean, people were praising God. Can you imagine? I mean, you've seen these videos of overseas when people get the the Bibles for the first time. And they're like shouting and jumping and yeah. And sometimes myself included, you throw the Bible down on and you're like, does anybody know where my Bible is? You may may find my Bible. Like, that's the point. We need to have a respect in order to understand the word of God. In the Nehemiah 8.6, it says this. Uh, it says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and with their hands lifted up. Right? Keep going to verse 7, if you would, Kevin. Uh, and then here are all the people. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamam, Akab, Shabbathai, Hodiah, Mesiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, who were Levites. They explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. So what, what do you have? You have people. This is a cool picture. As the word is being read, then at times, then what do you know? People are explaining it. They explain the book. Isn't that a cool picture? It's not just on Ezra. No, God had people in place to help communicate this as well. It says in, uh, in verse 9, here's what, here's what you need to do, though. In verse 9, as Wearsby says, okay, not only must we understand it, but we must rejoice in the Word. We must rejoice in the Word of God, which covers us from 9, verses 9 through 12. Again, you have a revival is what's happening based on the reading of the Word of God. That's it. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Kevin, any idea, Clayton, Drew? Why why would they be weeping? Why would Ezra and Nehemiah say, guys, stop weeping? What were they weeping about? Any thoughts? I think there was a realization that we, this is why we went into captivity. This is, we didn't pay attention to this. Yeah, we kind of missed the whole word of God thing. Oh, no. So what's happening here? The spirit of Nehemiah that started in Nehemiah 1.4 took place in Nehemiah 8.9. Does that make sense? What Nehemiah was weeping over, the condition of, of his people, the condition of the city, it's like almost all of a sudden because they've modeled it, Ezra's modeled it, the scribe, the Levites have modeled this. It's all of a sudden the people are realizing, whoa, we have realized we have not. We have not worshipped the Lord. We have not kept up to the standards that he's actually asking us to do. And what I love about Ezra and Nehemiah, they're saying, guys, this day is holy. Stop with the morning. Let's rejoice that we got the word of God. Like, let's celebrate in where we are at. And in fact, in verse 10, then he said, here's what I want you to do. Go and eat what is rich. Drink what is sweet. And send portions to those who have have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve because your strength comes from the rejoicing in the Lord. Guys, do you realize what we are experiencing is a move of God? What we are experiencing is, is there's no more of saying what we've done wrong. Let's not live in that position of victim. Let's not live in that position of being in captivity. Let's live in that position of freedom and we have new life in front of us. Verse 11 says, and the Levites, they quieted everybody. Shh. Since today is holy, do not grieve. And in verse 12, then all the people began to eat and drink. Okay, fine. (laughs) Here we go. Send portions and have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. I get that. You're right. 
Okay, I'm sorry. We've been understanding the word of God. We've been understanding all that we've actually done and turned away from the Lord. But now let's rejoice because we're going to turn a corner. It's an awesome picture of people actually rejoicing in the word of the Lord. And can I just say at this point, he's saying it is time to celebrate. Kevin, can you go to uh, Jeremiah 15, 16 for me? Jeremiah 15, 16. It says, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. For I am called by your name, Yahweh God of hosts. So here you have the prophet. You know what he's saying? Your words have brought joy to me. Your words have brought delight to me. One of the ways that you can fight depression, one of the ways that you can fight loneliness Read this. Read the word of the Lord. According to Jeremiah 15, God, God can do this. And Kevin, go to Psalm 19, verse 8. When we understand the word, when we begin to realize he brings life and he fulfills us and satisfies us and brings us uh, uh, to our thirst, and Psalm 19, 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. And the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. Uh, to me, it's like when you're in the word, your heart is glad. Your eyes are like, yes. And just one more here, Kevin. If you go to Psalm 119, verse 162. <laughs> Don't get to say that one often. Psalm 119, verse 162. Guys, it's time to celebrate. And scripture says, I rejoice over your promise. Like your promise, your word. Those that, the things that God has said, I rejoice. Like the one who finds vast treasure. So what do we do? We celebrate like we've experienced the best thing ever. And that's what's starting to take place. And so then here's what happens, though, you guys. <laughs> oh, this is going to be so weird. Uh, I think, number one, it, it could be the conservatives. Just hang on here for a second, okay? We understand the Word of God more than anybody, right? This is the mentality. And then number two is, is we must rejoice in the Word of God. Way! Woo! The point is, is, then you have the charismatic. They're excited about what God's doing. They're rejoicing and they're celebrating. All which are great, you guys. But my challenge is, is to blend one and two to make it into three. Like this is the challenge. Embrace the understanding. Rejoice in it. Be okay with it as it unfolds. Because number three then says, here's what we really need to do with this, you guys. As Wearsby says, we must obey the Word of God. It's not just one, it's not just two, it's actually all of these. And then you're going to see that in verses 13 through 18. Kevin, if you would, go to verse 13. It says, On the second day, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and the Levites, they assembled before Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. Okay, everybody's gathering, let's keep on studying. And in verse 14, here's what's taking place. It says, uh, They had found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the festival of the seventh month. So they're reading Leviticus 23 right now. Like, they realize as they're reading this, whoa, oh, we need to do something. We need to actually start, start what, Kevin? Building some booths. Not just read about it, not just understand it, not just celebrate it. And so then in verse 15, they realize that they had to be doers of the word. So they proclaimed, here's what they said. And they spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive, white olive, myrtle, 
palm and other leafy trees to make booths, just as it is written. So, Kevin, at verse 15, I think this is kind of important. What are they told to do right now? Gather supplies. Gather your supplies because we're going to rejoice that God's asked us to do this. And would you just spread the word? And in verse 16, guess what? They did it. They just didn't understand it. They just didn't rejoice in it. They did it. Oh, yeah, praise God. We got the word of God. Hey, by the way, I I realize you haven't been practicing the festival of the booths. I realize you haven't been building tabernacles and praising the Lord for getting you out of this period of wilderness. I I realize you haven't done it. Guys, I need you to go do this. So it says in verse 16, they did it. The people went out. They brought back branches, made booths for themselves on each of their rooftops, the courtyards, the court of the house of God, the square by the water gate and the square by the gate of Ephraim. In other words, whether you live in cities, put them on flat tops. Whether you're priests or Levites, you can put it on the courts of the temple. If you live in the country, you can bring it into the water gate or the gate of Ephraim. And here's what it says in verse 17. The whole community that had returned from exile made booths and lived in them. Not some that didn't want to. Not some that said, you know, I don't really know how to build. I'm not a rich Goodwin. I don't know how to build a a tabernacle or a booth. I'm not really a a Kevin who's going to build a set. You want me to build? Yeah, everybody needs to build this. And it says they hadn't celebrated like this. They hadn't built booths like this from the days of Joshua. Whoa, all the way back then, sons of Nun under that day. And there was tremendous joy. There is joy, you guys, when you obey the word of God. And then in verse 18, look, here's what happens. Ezra read out the book of the law of God every day from the first day to the last. Whoa. The Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, there was an assembly according to the ordinance. You know, to me, true, true revival is this. You can say, well, how so? Because they, they dug into the word of God. It actually impacted their emotions. It's okay to be impacted by your emotions. But your emotions and your understanding of the Word of God through the Holy Spirit needs to lead to actions. They read something in Scripture, and oh, by the way, we need to do this. Can you go to Matthew 28 for me, Kevin? Matthew 28, verse 18. I feel like the church in America needs to gather at the water gate. I think the church of, the, uh, of America needs to gather at the water gate, and I think we need to open this up to the text. I think we need to read, then it says, And Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And look what he instructs the church that he is building to do. You see, Nehemiah built a city. And 52 days, so why? So that people truly could, yes, experience Him. Jesus is building the church so that others can experience Him. And in verse 19, here's what Jesus says to all of us. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age You guys, we're we're not going to see a true revival until we do the Great Commission. Until we actually act upon the Word of God that's actually been delivered. Maybe we need to go back to understand this text. Maybe we need to go back to say, you know, you don't really need seminary. You actually don't need school. You just need to understand the Word of God through the Holy Spirit to rejoice in what He's doing so that we can actually obey this. 
Kevin, if you'll go to James 1, verse 22, we've been asked to share the gospel and make disciples. I don't understand why we decide whether we want to build the booths or not. It says everybody build those booths. I don't know why we decide, can I share the gospel? I don't want to share the gospel. He says, you go and share the gospel. Scripture says in James 1, 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we're not careful, we're giving in the Sambalots, the Tobias, the Gershoms, who are slowly starting to say, you know what? You got everything built. You don't need to do that part. You guys, if we want to see a true move of God, we must be doers of the word. And may I just challenge you, it can be anything in the context, but specifically Matthew 28, we actually could see a revival if we acted out what we understood. All right, guys, this is Nehemiah 7 and 8. I love seeing a revival. And I want to see it in my lifetime as well. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.